Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock podcast with Peter and I. We have a returning Andy Bravery. Hello, Andy. Hi there. And we have another Andy, but not one of the usual guest contributor Andys. We've got making his debut, a rather more famous Andy. No offence to you, Mr. Bravery. It's (laughs) Mr. Andy Naylor, uh, famously, of course, long-term Albion journalist. How are you doing, Andy? I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. Yes. A debut at the veteran stage, crikey. It's <laughs> a late debut. <laughs> no, no, not at all, not at all. But it does feel like you've been doing the job for many years. Well, you have been doing the job for many because years. Because I have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, So we'd, we'd like to talk to you about that in a, in a short while. But um, also various other things, all things Albion, of course. I get your views on how the season's been going this year, or well, just finished, of course, now for us. Um, and, of course, I'm sure you want to give over hours and hours to that excellent performance at the weekend <laughs> against <laughs> Arsenal. Mm, maybe not, maybe not. Um, so, no, it's a great pleasure to have you on. We should have had you on sooner, in fact. Um, we've been going for um, about a year and a quarter, and um, we've racked up a ridiculous number of episodes. I think this is number 144. And um, and finally, we've got you on. So, so it's great to have you, Andy. Of course, loads of Albion fans, if not all Albion fans, will know who you are. But just to explain, obviously, you, you've been covering on the Argus for many years yeah. and in more recent times on The Athletic. Um, but can you take us back to the beginning? And also, you've got to tell us about your Stoke affiliation. We've got to, we've got to bring that one up, of course. <laughs> Although you are a Brighton boy, aren't you, I think? Is that right? Or a Sussex boy? I am indeed, yes. Yeah, yeah. a Brighton boy. I was brought up in uh, Wooding Dean. And yep. the Stoke affiliation goes back to, so people always ask me about it. Oh, are you from Stoke? Have you got a real... No, no, no. <laughs> it's a very simple and fairly dull explanation. As a, as a very young lad, um, Gordon Banks was my idol. Um, Not a bad one to have. From the 70 World Cup and the Pelé save. Hmm. Just carried on from there, really. I've supported them ever since through uh, thick and thin, mainly thin, uh, <laughs> A bit of thick for a decade in the Premier League, but um, yeah, that that's the size of it. He was just, he was just my hero as a kid growing up. Hmm. 
there's a lot of those kind of affiliations, isn't there, where just what you could call an abstract reason as, as such, not a, a father or mother supporting or a local area reason, but just, just somebody capturing your interest. I think there's a lot of fan support clubs based on one or two players that caught their eye growing up, certainly. Um, there's a lot of people, for example, Leeds fans, you get uh, Peter's favourite team, Leeds, we have to mention them. Uh, <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. Uh, he, um, but they get a lot of fans, you know, from that same era, actually, isn't it? Greenoff and McQueen, all that lot. Um, and I guess with Stoke, Gordon Banks was an iconic figure, wasn't he? Um, obviously, probably more famously with Leicester, I guess. Yeah. Um, but you know, he, what a what a what a fantastic goalkeeper, and that save is is iconic. Um, but yes, a Brighton man through and through. Um, you've uh, tell us about your backstory then. How did you first of all? How did you get into football, and how did you get into your vocation? Well, I guess uh, probably like most people uh, at school and stuff, I, I was just mad on sport. Played played everything. Uh, played to a reasonable sort of level at school. Played for Brighton boys. Uh, played a couple of games for for Brighton youth. Uh, basically, wasn't mm. wasn't good enough to make it as, as a professional uh played other sports and 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 you know writing was just uh, I was half decent at English so it just seemed like a good route if I couldn't play to actually kind of write about it and it developed from there really so in that sense I feel quite fortunate because it was my kind of chosen career um I don't think you go into journalism to become a millionaire uh, but I feel quite fortunate and quite privileged to uh, have covered all sorts of events, mainly the football, of course, but I've done a lot of other stuff. Boxing, did the Olympics in 2012, which was a great experience. So um, I feel fa- fairly fortunate, really. Yeah. And when, when, how did you get your access point? Did you did you do a, the conventional method of studying through the... Through, through the levels and then and getting in at the bottom level that way was it was it old school kind of you know just making the tea and photocopying for the first few years yeah, it, it kind of was I mean I, I went to sixth form college I took did my A levels and at that stage I'd had enough of education I wasn't interested in going on to university so I, I got in I mean my first job in sort, sort of journalism was actually in Brighton for the Civil Service Motoring Association. It was like a magazine uh, based up near Brighton Station on Queen's Road, their offices. And I was literally the editorial assistant, which was kind of um, fairly um, basic stuff, you know, like you say, sort of (laughs) a T-boy to some extent and some proofreading. And it just really developed from there. I I did my, I, I met my wife in Brighton. She's from Birmingham originally. Went up there, did all my training, um, and ended up coming back down south uh, to join the Argus in 87. Excellent. Well, I'm not sure if Peter would remember it at that time. I know Andy would. Um, you know, this was the era of John Vinnikan, of course, the great John Vinnikan, wasn't it? Um, so he was the chief, I don't know what the exact description was, the chief sports writer for the Albion, wasn't he? Yeah. In those days, writing the, the match reviews, the Albion analysis and see, was it Seagull Scene, the other thing Seagull they did? Seagull Scene on a Thursday, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I loved that as a kid growing up. That was, you know, I, that was my Bible pretty much, just reading that, every little detail. Couldn't wait for it. My mum used to buy it every day, so I'd, I'd be sent down to buy it and I'd be reading half of it by the time I got home, I think. Um, and I, I'm guessing Andy B, you're the, you're the same, aren't you? Pretty much, 
same era, yeah, roughly. If I'm going to be honest, for most of my certainly for most of my childhood and um, and um, adolescence, it was the only bit of the paper I read was the sports bits and mainly about the Albion, really. And yeah, John Vinnikin was the was the voice, wasn't he? You know, he told us everything that was going on, or that he could anyway. Yeah, the late great, of course. Um, sad, sadly, no longer with us. But what, what was he like to work with, Andy? How how was that? Well, it was quite interesting in a way because he had a bit of a fearsome reputation. Uh, oh, right. Copy takers and the like. I got on absolutely famously with John. I got on really well with him. He's really good company. Um, so I, I thoroughly kind of enjoyed enjoyed my time working with him. It's, it's funny how, how the industry has changed. You said there, I mean, I used to do it myself back in the day when you had the sports final, the Argus. And there used to be a queue at the news agents waiting for the paper to be delivered. Because essentially in those days, you know, that, that was your first chance to get a sort of in-depth uh, report, a written report about what had gone on. And it just shows you the way the way the world has changed since yeah. then with, um, with the advent of social media. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, we, we used to have a sports paper. You may remember the Sports Argus that uh, sort of kept going for quite a while. And I, I have to say, I think it was a really good product. I mean, we had mm. a fairly decent sized staff in those days. A lot of man hours went went into it, putting it together. Used to come out initially on a Saturday after the game and then it reverted to a Sunday morning. But it wasn't just the football, obviously Brighton was the main focus, but it was all sports in Sussex, all the non-league, all the other sports. But it just reached a point where products like that were no longer viable. People could get their information from so many other different sources, staff cuts. So sadly, a lot of those old, the, the green and the pink and they used to be called, just just withered away, really. Yeah, it's, it's such a shame, isn't it? And I mean, it, no matter how many times you explain it to the younger generation, the concept of you know, this lack of immediacy with information and how you did rely on print journalism and uh, that sort of thing. It, it, it is hard to get your head round, I think, no matter how many times it's explained. And if you're on holiday during the football season, good luck getting the information on how your team got on. You'd probably have to wait two days for the out-of-date papers to get delivered, wouldn't you? Crazy times. <laughs> it really has changed a lot. Um, you, I mean, just a quick word on the printed press. Do you, do you think it's pretty much dead, dead? Is it, is it going that way or will there always be a small uh, niche market for it, do you think, in the future? Well, I guess the worry is that obviously I think to some extent it's a generational thing. So people of a certain generation still enjoy picking up their newspaper. Younger generation just haven't been brought up that way. I mean, my son and my daughter, they're both in their 20s. Very rarely, I think, read a newspaper, uh, you know, get all their information online. But you'd like to think that maybe it will come round uh, a bit like we have in the, I always think like the shopping and, and, and these, these big out of out of town supermarkets sort of have been all, all the thing that where you can get everything at once. And, and then the sort of high street shops, the butchers, the bakers and but you'd like to think it, it it will maybe maybe reverse at some point down the line, but I'm not so sure. I think we might have gone past that stage, unfortunately. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a bit of a shame, isn't it? But it is what it is. And, and the other thing with the Argus, I mean, during the time during its time, it also moved, didn't it? It was always based in. I think it was based in somewhere like Woodingdean or somewhere, wasn't it? Or 
Hollingbury. We were based Hollingbury, in Hollingbury. Yeah, we were based yeah. in Hollingbury for a long time. Um, and, then, and, and then moved and to then, Hampshire, was it? And then, well, we we didn't actually, I mean, our office moved to, um, by the time I left, we were down by the pier, which was actually quite a nice office. Um, hmm. But uh, the the office up uh, in Hollingbury was like a big open plan, almost like an aircraft hangar, not a great working environment, to be honest with you. The one in the one in the in the centre of the city was much nicer, a lot lot smaller, which was a reflection on how the size of the staff just just decreased over time. Yeah, and now of course it's all about the digital. You've got and now of course you've got uh, Brian Owen as your as your successor yeah. at the Argus. Uh, I think he's doing well, isn't he? He's, he's, he's been received very well in the in the um, escalated role, if you like. Um, yeah. Well, any, anything on him? We haven't had him on the show yet either. But um, yeah, he, he comes across pretty well from when I've heard him interviewed as well, and yeah. um, seems to do a good job. So well, is, is he the long term thing for the uh, for the Argus Online? Do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, Brian. Obviously, we worked together for well. Brian Brian has been there for a good time. Uh, I mean, all of us had on the desk uh, the former sports editor Steve Hollis. There was Mike Legg. Um, so we'd all worked there for for a, a number of times. Sort of Brian's left as the great survivor, carrying 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 the flag still. So um, I mean, I can only speak for at the end when I was there, and I know how the workload had had reached um, almost intolerable levels, really, in terms of what you were trying to do, both online and in the paper. And of course, this kind of coincided with the club getting to the Premier League. So the thirst for more and more stuff uh, was increasing at the same time as the numbers on the desk were decreasing. So um, yeah, it made 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 it pretty pretty tough. It was a bit of a relentless churn. Hmm. We are indeed, of course, in the Premier League now. Fantastic new stadium. But you go back to well, two or th- you could argue three stadiums back, can't you, to the Goldstone era? I mean, going back from that period, carrying right the way through. What, what do you think your your favourite memories of well the various grounds really Goldstone, dare I say, Priestfield, <laughs> and with Dean? Um, what what were the key moments, either from a journalistic point of view or from just purely a spectator point of view? And um, what what stands out for you? Well, obviously it, at the Goldstone, I came into it kind of a, it, at the back end, you know, in those last two or three years. So. Um, I think what was probably interesting from that point of view, from a professional point of view, was obviously what was happening with the football club was not good at all. Mm. But it took me into areas that as a normal football reporter, you wouldn't really get involved in. You know, Mm. um, it sort of became beyond the matches. And um, I mean, at one stage I was banned by Bellotti. We were banned. Our our long-time photographer, Simon Dackey, used to take the pictures from a garden, uh, I got friendly with a resident, so he took the pictures from a garden overlooking the East Terrace, and I dressed up, I used to go in disguise and sit in the South Stand. This was in the Liam Brady era, and, and Liam, in fairness, was very helpful because he hated what was going on. So the main, the main point in those times was for it not to affect our coverage, and it didn't, and the band didn't last because they sort of recognized it was pointless. So, like I say, I came into the Goldstone at, 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 at that sort of period. Memories of Gillingham, there's not a lot. <laughs> there's not a lot of good to say about trawling 
<laughs> what was it, 75 miles for a for a home mm. game. Um, I mean, I, I lost count the number of motorways you actually had to go on to get to... Yeah, there's three or four, wasn't it? Right. I mean, yeah, it was a pretty depressing experience mm. those two years. I mean, the football wasn't great either, was it? No, with Dean in its own way, served served its purpose, didn't it? Got the club mm. back, um, back back into the the city, and you know, you look at the period at with Dean, um, it was quirky, wasn't it? It uh, uh, it was very different, but it was a pretty successful period overall. So um, yeah, and then on, of course, to the 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 different world <laughs> that is the Amex. Definitely. And yeah, I mean, four, four promotions in 12 years. Um, happy times, despite it being stressful times in terms of our future and planning ahead. Um, well, I mean, it must have been really difficult from a work point of view, wasn't it, working at Woodin? The, the facilities must have been pretty rudimentary, I would imagine. Yeah, they weren't great. I mean, I mean in fairness to the club, they, they did the best they could for us from a hmm. media point of view. We used to have the sort of Athletics Hut was was the sort of room for before and after, and the press yeah. box itself wasn't too bad in the circumstances. You know, it was in the covered stand, reasonably close to the uh, halfway line. It was quite strange back in those days because you literally had the kind of access that you never get now. In, so in that sense, it was quite good. Where the players are just wandering out, <laughs> wandering out almost partially, and you could just go up and speak to them. You know. Um, you don't get that now. <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, it's hundred percent changed, isn't it? Now everything's so so well um, drilled, and you know it's quite something to try and get try and get any interviews, isn't it? Now, which obviously you, you do get some, but yeah, totally different environments, I'm sure. At least you're in the only bit of covered ground at Woodsy. No, I'm I'm jealous. I have to say, it yeah. seemed to rain all the time, didn't it? There. Um, anyway, yeah, Andy, over to you, Andy B. Yeah, Andy, I just wanted to ask you about because um, obviously that you know you're face to face with the manager. Yes. So if those, in terms of the managers that you've um, and you've covered a number, obviously some of them more than once. Yeah. Um, who were your who were your sort of like your your favourites, your least favourites in terms of personality, and who do you think you know in terms of the quality of them as as managers were, were your favourites as well? Yeah. I think I've been really fortunate um, because over, over the piece and all the managers I've dealt with, um, I've got on really well with. I mean, that's a very important part of the job, you know, uh, because you're, you're speaking to the manager, head coach on a regular basis. So you have to build up that, um, that relationship and that trust. Uh, I've been, like I say, very lucky. Mickey Adams twice, you refer to. I mean, Mickey at first... Mickey, it was quite difficult at first because he'd come from Fulham. He couldn't really understand why I'd be asking him for reserve team news because in the context of London and Fulham at that stage were, you know, pretty pretty low down the pecking order. Nobody was that interested in them, whereas at Brighton we were interested in more or less everything. So um, it took a while to, uh, to for him to kind of grasp that. We had our ups and downs. I mean, I, I always sort of compare it over a long period. It's a bit like a marriage. You know, you have moments where where things are not so great, but um, but you kind of work through them. And it was strange, actually, with Mickey, because at the time he actually left was probably the time when I 
about the time I'd really cracked it with him and um, we we got on really well. So um, I remember, I remember, I'm, I'm sure it was Mickey Adams. He said that he, he talked about people in the press and um, how, you know, they would um, make negative comments. And what he said about you, though, was that, but what I know about Andy Naylor is that he's always sitting there in front of me. He's yeah. never like saying it behind my back. You know, yeah. he's always there yeah. willing to take, take yeah. it back from me. Yeah. So clearly yeah. he kind of felt the same about you, Andy, by the yeah. same yeah, so yeah, so so that was fine. Obviously, P- Peter Taylor came in and took it on. Um, had my moments with Peter <laughs> uh, on one or two occasions uh, with Steve Coppel, who I was uh, who was kind of warned about me really, which was a bit odd <laughs> uh, initially. But I got on really well with Steve. Very dry sense of humour, but um, yeah, I got on well with him. Mark McGee, I got on particularly well with. Um, out sort of almost to the point of outside professionally socialising a, uh, um, a bit as well so I can't really fault any of them Steve Grit was really good um, in his, his time at the club um, probably the one that was the most difficult and this was nothing ag- against him but, but Dean Wilkins I, I think it's a great shame with Dean because I think he he had the potential to sort of, um, you know, do really well in the game. But Dean was, I think, more cut out to be a coach than than, than a manager. I mean, one of the things I can remember with Dean is you'd, you'd go up to the training ground and he'd be an hour, he'd keep you waiting for an hour. And then he'd come out and say, oh, you know, sorry, guys. And that's fine, obviously, you know, that happens. But it would happen again and again and again. Mm. And it kind of got to the point where you think, well, you're not really doing yourself any favours here, you know, because when when you're looking for support to sort of, um, you know, not not treat us that that well from from that point of view is uh, is not the best way of sort of um, going about things. But, um, yeah, I mean, Chris Hutton, what a gentleman. Just, mm. just, just such a nice man that you just wanted things to go well. Just, just because of, um, just because of, uh, you know, how nice he was. I actually got on well. I mean, a lot of people found him sort of a bit um, distant, but I actually got on very well with um, Oscar Garcia in his in his uh, one season in charge, and of course Gus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Everyone smiles instantly when you mention well, that name. <laughs> well, as a journalist, Gus was fantastic because because you basically went into a press conference with Gus and knew you were guaranteed to come out with about six stories because he'd speak about everything and anything, which didn't say, always, yeah. which got him into trouble, as we know, a few times. So I uh, say so you're never going to be lacking a quote or three, are you, with Gus? No. You know? <laughs> and then Graham now. I mean, Graham is. Um, Really, really good to deal with. I, I think he's a very, um, I find him interesting because he's, he's very articulate. Um, you know, you look at his background, which has been quite, quite unusual in terms of the, um, the educational journey. And, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, like I say, I've, I've really, I, sh- I should have mentioned Brian Horton, who I, I didn't know as a, you know, as the legend he was as a player. But in his time as manager, just straight away struck up a, a rapport with him, and I, I still speak to quite a few 
from them now. I still speak to Brian reasonably regularly, Mark. So um, yeah, yeah, been really lucky. Yeah, I think um, we were lucky enough to have um, Brian Horton on the show actually, and he's he, a lovely guy, really, really nice guy. He's been at um, Seagulls over London, of which we're all members, um, the three of us. And um, yeah, actually, really good value. Uh, he's a good lad. Uh, but Peter, you wanted to come back, didn't you? I think was it to do with the managers? I was uh, just going to actually move slightly back towards the ground bit, and I was going to say after the twelve years, obviously at Withdean, what was it like, kind of, when you first went to the Amex? And I don't know if you guys got a sneak preview of it beforehand, or you went in purely for media days, that sort of thing. But also the first game as well, and the difference obviously was presumably a lot. Yeah, a different world, as I say. And, and one of the things that the club did really well, actually, because I'd been to quite a few grounds, Huddersfield sticks in the memory, where it was as if the press was almost an afterthought, but they'd almost forgotten about the press facilities and the press box. Mm. What they actually did, I can remember going down with Johnny Cantor, uh, the BBC radio guy, and we went down for a meeting when, 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 the, when the building was going on with Martin Perry and the architects. And they basically said to us, what's the best design for you in terms of the, you know, the, the, the desktops, um, what works best for you? And they gave us about three or four options, which I thought was that was that was really good of them, you know, to make the sort of working environment as suitable as, as suitable as it could be for us. And the working environment at the Annex is is fantastic. It really is. Uh, the media room is really good. The food is really good, um, and and the press press box is well situated, you know, right above where the um, the players come out. Um, in an ideal world, it would perhaps be slightly higher up, but that's being really really picky. Um, you know, it is, yeah. it is it is we're really well looked after there. Yeah, you, you pretty much do have to be very picky to, to, to pick fault in it because I think they have really thought of everything, haven't they? Yeah. And anything where there is an oversight, they've looked to change that, improve it. Yeah. Obviously, when we got in the Prem as well, they've upgraded certain facilities by necessity as well. Um, and I think in later time, they've also added that box in the corner, haven't they? In the yeah. southeast corner, um, which I think was after we were in the Prem, if I remember rightly. Um so they, they've really developed it. And, uh, and I love the fact they've looked looked after everybody and they've thought of everything from yeah. the fan point of view, the journalist point of view, the staff, uh, the away fans point of view, of course, famously with the, you know, the, the club colours and the friendly stewards and all that sort of stuff. Um, it, it is great. That's a um, funny story with that, actually, the club colours, because I, I remember I said to I said to Martin Perry, because you used to have this thing where you do a story on April for April Fool's Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I said to him, I, I want to do a kind of a, a bit of counterintuitive. I want a, I want a story that seems completely, you know, must be an April Fool, but is actually true. And that's that is the story. We, we ran it on April 1st saying, oh, Brighton are going to have the, you know, the, the oh, uh, yeah. colours in the ground. And of course, a lot of people thought, oh, yeah, 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 right. No, it's actually, it's actually happening. So you've basically done them by double, double bluffing yes, them. Yeah, double great, bluff, nice yeah. one. <laughs> I've forgotten that was on April Fool's. I do remember the story at the time and there was some fuss about it. That's what it was, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, you mentioned Huddersfield's facilities. I mean, how, how does the Amex compare with facilities in general I'm thinking prior to getting in the Prem and also since getting in the Prem um, it, I suppose it must compare pretty favourably to virtually anywhere doesn't it for various yeah. reasons very good yes I would I would mm. put it 
right up there. Um, rate rate it very highly. You'd be probably a bit surprised at some of the places where, I mean, you go to Old Trafford, and it's not. A I great, thought you were going to say Old Trafford. <laughs> it's not a great experience, really, from a media point of view. Um, the Wi-Fi was not great there, I guess, which is understandable with the amount of people they have. But then you have to go to a totally different area down by the tunnel for the player stuff and the, the mix zone afterwards. It's just, it's just not, it's not that kind of conveniently uh, uh, worked really. Whereas, whereas at the Amex, it 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 really is um, really impressive. Uh, Tottenham, obviously, their new stadium is fantastic, um, really good, and. The food at Stamford Bridge is just ridiculous. <laughs> as in, as in ridiculously good. <laughs> right, right, okay. Anything and everything <laughs> at Stamford Bridge food-wise is uh, is is quite something. But um... so I know who you're wishing for in cup draws now. <laughs> <laughs> none of none of the glory games or anything like that. No, let's get Stamford Bridge will probably lose, but. Andy will be well fed. That's all. That, that's all that matters. <laughs> but, but obviously, in the Premier League, the yeah, yeah. You know, pretty much everywhere you go is 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 um, is uh, you're well looked after. Where which is quite a contrast when I go back in the day to some of the places you went to. Um, yeah. I can remember Do you put, the... putting my laptop Sorry. on an oil drum at the old Doncaster ground, <laughs> balancing on an oil drum. Yeah. yeah. And at yeah. Macclesfield, there were no, there were, they had the frames of the windows for the press box, but no glass, just the frame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talking about cup draws, I mean, do you almost hanker in a strange sort of way to get one of those kind of cup draws where you can, you can have that glass no. from the past experience? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've become spoiled. <laughs> I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, facilities are great nowadays, particularly if you're in the Prem. Uh, obviously, things have been a bit different as a general experience during the COVID uh, period since March of last year. Very strange times. I mean, how's that been from your side of things, from the working point of view? It must have been there must have been so many very odd yeah. anomalies to, to, the, to the norm here. Yeah, it's very weird. It's a very sterile match day experience. Mm. I mean, on the one hand. I, I kind of remind myself that I'm grateful for the fact that I, I'm still there, whereas obviously fans couldn't be. But I'll, I'll just give you an example. I mean, at the Amex, like I say, they, they've done the best they could for us. But the written press, we're actually right at the back of the West End, right at the very back. So the facilities are fine there in ter terms of what we've got access to, you know, mains power and the worktop and stuff. But I've actually found myself at home games sitting in a sort of empty stadium and I've got the monitor in front of me, which is quite useful because it's a pretty distant view from the back of the West Stand. So when it comes to sort of corners, free kicks, I found myself watching the game on the monitor in front of me rather than with my... <laughs> so I think this is really mad. I'm in a practically empty stadium actually watching the game on TV. <laughs> Do you, Andy, do you think that that's partly because when you're watching it, when the crowd are there, you're kind of also taking your cues a little bit from the crowd noise? And yeah, yeah, well, yes, yeah, I think you're right. Obviously, we're we're in a different situation as well, a, a, 
closer um, in, in the main in the main box in sort of normal times. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I've, I it was really noticeable um, at the Man City game actually, and I was I was quite pleasantly surprised because um, obviously the, the, the Chelsea friendly and the two games were 2000 in December. But with 8,000 people against Manchester City, all I can say is I wish the Amex sounded like that a lot more with 30,000 people. Now, whether that was because of the long time with, you know, no football for a lot of people, um, the way the game went, obviously, but the noise was fantastic. It really was with 8,000. And that's not always... I mean, in my experience with Amex, I think... The atmosphere depends on the level of expectation going into the game. I think the atmosphere has usually been good when perhaps it's one of the bigger teams and the expectations are not particularly high. When there's an expectation of getting a result and things are not going well, that's when I think it's sometimes not great. Yeah, we like to be backs against the wall a little bit, I think. If you mention... The, the very best atmospheres at the Amex. I think two that come to mind. Actually, I'm going to ask Peter this. What are the two most prominent ones that come to your mind? Let's see if we get the... the same ones. I'd say the Sheffield Wednesday playoff when we were two down and it looked like we were out. And the Burnley yeah. home game when we were one down and, and two men down after half an hour. And Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which kind of exactly backs up what Andy's saying, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, it's the games where maybe people come. I think there's always a problem when there's expectations that people, if we don't score early, then people get nervous and... You know, and then it kind of like it, the crowd gets jittery and then it kind of any mistake gets, you know, kind of groans and that sort of thing. Whereas in a way, if, you know, if we make a mistake against City, well, people kind of like, that's that's life, you know, it's a bit less of a, a thing. But yeah, obviously, and I think also everyone probably, I mean, I didn't go on Tuesday, but I heard the atmosphere was amazing. And I think probably a lot of people just thought they had to make up for the fact that there was yeah. like only 8,000 people as well. Yeah. You know, and it was kind of like, that's, we're, we're like almost making four times, five times the noise that we normally would. I'd certainly agree with the Sheffield Wednesday one. That I think for that 25 minutes to start the Sheffield, that's the best atmosphere I've heard. I agree. Experience yeah. there. Yeah, it really was. The team was. played amazingly as well. And it kind of, yeah. It just, yeah. yeah, everything from knockout being in the team before the game as well, which no one expected after his injury to yeah. the, to, yeah, to scoring. And then, yeah, the whole thing went flat after the Wednesday. Yeah, score. it just punctured, didn't it, when they equalised with more or less their first attack. Yeah. Yeah. But the Bloody thing, jammy, wasn't it? The thing yeah. was actually, um, that with that whole tie, the, the atmosphere at Hillsborough in the first leg was incredible. Mm. I, I can literally remember sitting in, and it felt like the floor was shaking. Uh, well, I think it probably was actually the, the jumping up and down it, that was going on. It, it really <laughs> was. So both of those, both of those games, the the atmospheres were. Yeah, special. yeah, I was blown away at Hillsborough as well. I thought it was amazing because we were in the upper tier of the of the Lappings Lane, and and they had the lower tier, didn't they? And you, we were making massive amount of noise all the way through the game. I've, everyone around me was singing, and I'm pretty sure Sheffield Wednesday fans weren't aware of that unless they're just looking at us. Because they, they just were wall-to-wall as well. Um, and I think in the final at Wembley, it sounded pretty good as well. They were really up for it, weren't they? I suppose they've been waiting a long time for something. <laughs> and they're still waiting. Yeah. But, um, they might get so, um, top two finish next year in, in League One. They're lucky. Yeah. Mm, yeah. 
that uh, that was a cracking atmosphere. Paul Cameron, when he came to Seagulls over London, I think it was, was talking about the Wednesday game at the Amex and said that, I think he said his ears were hurting. It was so loud. He said it's the best atmosphere he's heard yeah. at any game anywhere, which is quite something. Yeah, I think well, Wednesday... certainly in, a, in, in the context of events I've covered, that's hmm. right up there. The loudest event I've been to was the um, Golden Hour at the Olympics. And particularly ah. when Mo Farah came round the final bend, it was just incredible. Just a wall of noise. It was um, quite something. And uh, some very good atmospheres covering uh, Chris Eubank, actually, because I covered his career. So some of those big boxing nights, you mm. forget that some of the big fights with some really good atmospheres as well. But but no, the the, the Sheffield Wednesday one was right up there. Yes, another Brighton resident, of course, Chris Eubank. But yeah, that's a great atmospheres are great. Um, it is a bit weird in these times. I, I wonder with with the um, obviously the home form has suffered up and down the land, hasn't it? You've, you've seen a number of clubs. I think Villa was were mentioned. Certainly, Liverpool have been mentioned. Man U, us, lots of clubs have better away form than home form. It's, it's not a coincidence. I think it's a no brainer to see the effect it can have. I feel we'll get into this season in part two a bit more. But but in general, I think we've had a lot of decisions go against us. And we've um, we've been up against some pretty raw luck, as well as squandering some some opportunities. And there's, there's, we've had ourselves to blame for other elements. But do you think? I mean, we we must have we must have missed out on a number of points by not having the fans there to to uh, react to those hard done by moments. Because yeah. I think if if any club yeah. does react, uh, whose fans react to it, it's ours, isn't it? Yeah. The Burnley game and that we talked about earlier being an example. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and and the tone of the, the game against Man City kind of showed mm. that. That, you know, once the uh from 2-0 down, once the equaliser went in, there was a real lit and I think that that's the big difference. It it's just changes the uh momentum of games entirely. It was interesting that I remember one of the first pieces I did about the whole lockdown thing was with um Uvi Hunemeyer, because of course they restarted first uh, the Bundesliga. And he played um, for Paderborn, and it was quite—it was, it was quite interesting what he said. I think they played Fortuna Düsseldorf in their first game back, and it was in a moment when Fortuna Düsseldorf hit the woodwork twice in quick succession. And he said, in normal circumstances, the crowd would have been up, we'd have come under pressure, but it didn't happen. The game just carried on, you know. Um, um, so from that point of view, they were the away team that day. It, it, it benefited them, and um, yeah, I, th- I think we've seen that impact, haven't we? With um, or lack of, you know, lack of home advantage, if you like. Do you, I wonder though, Andy, in that in that first season under Potter, whether actually the COVID break and then there not being a, a crowd there may have helped a little bit. And the reason I the reason I say that is because I felt like. The way he wanted to play around the bat, you get lots of you get lots of oohs and ahs from the crowd and yes. a bit of frustration. to whack it up there, and I used to like feel like saying, "Well, whereabouts exactly up there would you like him to whack it?" You yeah. know, um, and I kind of wondered whether, like someone like Webster, was it was sort of playing on his mind a bit. Now, now you know, so it may have helped us. And I think this second season, and I think um, you know, there was predicted Webster in the Athletic that his second season would be a lot better than his first, and it has been. Yeah. Whether those players now would not necessarily be quite as affected yeah. by the crowd doing the U and R, U and R, and maybe we've had two years now of 
Potter that people will kind of the be able people to calm kind down of, a yeah, bit. No, I, I think it's a good point. Yeah, I, I think people have got a, accustomed to it. They they know what to expect now, and they're kind of used to it. Whereas in in that relatively early stage, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think I think it might well have helped them. Yeah, stand on what you're saying, Andy. I think it's interesting that the team who probably gained the most positions in the Premier League this season will have is West Ham, yes. who were notoriously bad at home in terms of the um, you know in terms of the atmosphere and the crowd since they've moved to Olympic Stadium. Yeah. And so I think they've not lost anything really with the home advantage because there, there wasn't really that much support anyway. There was the crowd were pretty anti generally, and away from home, obviously they've gained anyway. So they've they've done really well out of that. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it, to some extent, it will vary between from club to club. For example, I think Sheffield United have probably lost out quite a lot. Burnley Bramall Lane from not having, having their fans there. Burnley so I, do, I think will be a bit another one. They come, obviously yeah. ended up 17th and dropped down a bit. So yeah. Yeah. they've got a good home atmosphere. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think it's time for some half time oranges, boys. So okay. we're just going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the Albion in their current incarnation and what we can expect and what Andy thinks of them at the moment. That's all coming up in just a moment. Hello and welcome back to part two. It's Andy Bravery, Peter and I, Russell, with Andy Naylor. Hope you're doing all right there, Andy. You're looking resplendent in your, uh, with a conservatory background there. Yeah, fine, thank you. Good, good. <laughs> I'm well, a half-time orange and cuppa. <laughs> brilliant, lovely. That's what we like to hear. Any physio? Not feeling any stress <laughs> from the first half, hopefully. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I mean, now it's really to talk about um, the up-to-date stuff. The Albion, I mean, in terms of, should we say, the, um, the the advent of the modern Albion era, which I think we could say is the maybe the latter part of the the annex so far. Um, Chris Hewton era, well, should we say, yeah, Chris Hewton era onwards, yeah. um, getting into the Premier League, turning things around after a little bit of a sticky spell in the Championship, getting back on track, getting into the Prem, and then after a change of manager to Graham Potter, um, doing it as well with a better brand of football, you could argue, and s- seemingly set to step on. Um, how have you found it? What, what's your what's your view on the modern Albion as an overview? What, what would you say? Well, I think going forward, it's very exciting. I, ha- I have to say, I, I, I can only see sort of good things happening in, in the way the club's evolving. And, and developing. Obviously, Chris did a fantastic job in his, what was it, four and a half years in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when he came, they were sort of in the relegation zone, weren't they, in the championship? I, I, I think, for me, probably the most impressive thing of all was after they missed out in fifteen sixteen. You know, first at Middlesbrough, then the playoffs that we've already mentioned. For them to come back the following season after that and, and go up, I think was quite an achievement because I certainly worried that, um, you know, there would be a rebound. And if you remember, there was. I, I mean, I can remember Shane Duffy had signed. I think they lost at home to Brentford in about the September. I think I'm right in saying they were 13th at that stage. Mm. Um so I, th- I think that was a real achievement to 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 actually um, get up 
and and obviously also it was an achievement to keep them up for for two years um the decision was taken um to move things on you have to say that looks like a good decision i i, I think the interesting thing with with tony bloom is he's always looking ahead isn't he He's always he's always being proactive rather than reactive. Absolutely. And, um, and you know, I think we saw that with that decision to have the change uh, when he did. And I mean, it's interesting now. You look at them. Funny enough, I was what's it? Same points as last year um, this season. Actually, one place lower. Hmm. But I would argue that doesn't tell the whole story if, if you want to base it just on points and position then it is what it is but I think there's been a lot of progress in a lot of other ways when you look at the um, the performances um, the development of the squad development of individual players uh, I think there's an awful lot to be positive about the one thing I couldn't I couldn't quite get my head round when I looked at that table last night and saw um, Newcastle in 12. Four oh. points and four places above Brighton. And how? How did they the two that? games, the two three nils, thinking, how has that happened? <laughs> I mean, fair play to Newcastle from their debacle at the Amex. You know, hmm. their response to that. Um, has been really yeah. good to get up to where they are. But I, th- I think what that shows, I mean, for me, even now, I know the table doesn't say that Brighton are a better team than Newcastle. They've been a better team than Newcastle this season. So mm. I think that that shows you that, you know, potentially they're not that far away from pushing on to that long-term goal of sort of top 10 and not being a club that's always looking over their shoulder. Yeah, Graham's been mocked a little bit for saying we'll take the positives, learn from things, etc. He keeps saying the same sort of stuff. He's got mocked for that a little bit, but to be honest, that is the name of the game, isn't it, really? And if we can learn from those mistakes, if we can sort out that issue in the top line um, and the attack, um, everything else is set up, isn't it? They're, they're playing better and better. They're getting more confident and used to each other. There's better players coming through the system, and there's a continuation you can see that's going to come for years to come through the academy. We won't get everything right. Some of them won't work out. But as you said, the, the bigger picture is is there, right, for everyone to see from Tony all the way down. There's there's planning afoot. And that just makes you feel really confident for the future. Would you agree, Andy, Andy B? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, I mean, he, he did two things. He made In terms of the play, he's made it more expansive and he's brought in um, and developed a lot of the younger players. Now, Plenty of teams would have been relegated doing one of those two, and he's kept us up. And also, you never get the sense from him that, you know, he, the way he frames it, reframes it, I think, is that he gets an injury, it's never a problem. If he's not got the striker, will he use what he's got? I mean, he talks himself about, you know, you can either go out and buy a 30 million player or you can develop your own. Neither of them are easy and neither of them are necessarily going to give you the right outcome, but you can do either. And I think that mindset's important because I think that feeds off with the players because I think he probably gets them believing actually most of them, they don't have one position. They can play in a number of positions. And I think just to, on the Newcastle point, I think for me, they were, they were, in the end, there were two things. They had a goal scorer and they had a and they had a really tricky player who could like beat two or three players in one go. And, and possibly we don't have... that in, in that way, they were stronger than us. But overall, 
they want. I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, I don't know what you think, Andy, about, um, you know, the way that Potter has this kind of quite fluid formation of, yeah. of play and, and, and the way he kind of conveys his ideas and the way he gets these players playing in his position. Yeah. What is really interesting is that if you look back, I mean, you know, Chris was Chris was much more kind of, it was a fairly, you knew what was coming with Chris, didn't you? You could look at the team sheet with Chris and you knew how they were going to mm. play, who was going to play where. Most games, probably, the team comes out under Graham. I mean, and yesterday was a classic example because you kind of looked at the lineup, and that could have been three or four of those players playing in different positions in a different formation. Um, and and that's Graham, isn't it? In in terms of a, and I, I think it's interesting what what you say in terms of the way he almost challenges players and takes them out of their their limitations, if you like, or what they would have regarded as their limitations in terms of where they can play. I mean, you know, we've seen we've seen countless examples of that, haven't we? Stephen Alzati, Pascal Gross. I mean, whoever had Pascal Gross down as a right wing back. But, um, but he, and then the left wing back says, and then the stream of them, isn't it? He's coped reasonably well, isn't he? In those circumstances, when when asked to do it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's that's kind of a really interesting aspect that 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 sort of fluid fluidity and um, a bit unconventional really isn't it yeah Peter yeah I was going to pick up on what Andy B was saying about not having an equivalent of what I'm assuming you meant was Wilson and Sam Maximam I think we do have an equivalent of Sam Maximam but he's been out since before Christmas and we've been really unlucky with that I mean I know I know that um, Lamptey's not a winger but the way he took on Sam Maximam and he went off after 25 minutes at St James's Park didn't he and kind of basically well, won a penalty off him and outpaced him every time. I mean, he was far more dangerous going forward, I'd say, than Sam Axelman, but obviously we lost him in mid-December and he didn't play again the rest of the season. So yeah. hopefully, I mean, that's the, I think the big, one of the big things for Albion next season is can they get a full season out of Lamptey? Because, you know, obviously hamstring injuries do have a habit of getting back. Yeah. It's, it's in, actually, the defensive point, I think, is interesting as well. Because obviously Chris... When you looked at Chris's teams, you knew very well organised defensively, resilient. Uh, they were the kind of main aspects you expected, Chris. You don't look at Graham, and when people talk about Graham, they talk about the fluidity, don't they, and the interlinking. They don't talk about the defence. But, boy, the defensive record is really good. Really. Yeah, look at those clean sheets, you know, um, Bobby Sanch. Yeah, really mm. impressive. And, you know, the one area where they've perhaps been a bit vulnerable is is set plays. Um, mm. But that, to a degree, has been eliminated. What's really impressive when you look at the figures is how few chances they actually allow the opposition. Um, mm. You know, they, re- they really do limit them. And, and you look at the defence they've got now and the players, and you've mentioned there, Another thing I come back to is people seem to forget the players they've had out. I mean, they've lost Lamptey since December, March since February. Now, they would be, I think, in normal circumstances, if you said to Graham, right, what is your first choice 11? They would be in it, I think. Yeah. They would be yeah. in it as, as the wing-backs. Uh, yeah. that, that, that. And they've been without both of those for months. Webster was out for what was it, eight weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, well, because Alana missed large chunks yeah. of the first half of the season, weren't available. Yeah, yeah. I, I know every you know 
every team has has injuries, but they have had significant injuries for long periods of time. So um, yeah, I yeah. I mean, and then he and then he makes a brave decision, and he and he brings in a you know a relatively novice goalkeeper who's played at Rochdale. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, and I loved Chris Hewton, but I don't think Chris Hewton would have done that, particularly as it wasn't like Ryan was playing particularly badly. It's no. just that as it's turned out, yeah. Sanchez just gives you other things that, yeah. that Ryan didn't give us. That was quite clear now. Yeah. And actually to got himself today yeah. in the Spanish squad for the Euros, which yeah. squad for the Euros, which is amazing, really. Yeah. You know, well, it was a, you're right. Really it was a brave call, wasn't it? Because if you yeah. look when it was made, you know, initially it was the Tottenham game, wasn't it? He had the debut. Uh, somebody actually said to me today um, on, on Twitter, they were saying that arguably he should have been, he shouldn't have brought Ryan back. But hmm. actually, when you look straight after Tottenham, the three games after that, they drew with Burnley and Liverpool at home and won at Villa. So, so the, the three results straight after that were good. It was really the Southampton game and then the Leicester one. Um, Leicester away when they lost 3-0 when the change was sort of became permanent and yeah. it's been it's been spectacularly vindicated hasn't it I mean I don't think yeah. there could be any argument about that yeah that yeah, extra I mean, you last season this time last year to the Spain squad for the Euros in the space yeah. of 12 months I mean or in the space effectively I mean I think yeah. it's I think, I think it's crazy to say that if Walton wasn't injured in pre-season he might well have gone out on loan this season Sanchez yeah. and so we did, none of that would have happened. It's a funny, you know, it's funny how these, obviously it's really bad for Wilson, but it's funny how these things work. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, he really has stepped on. It's his extra command of the area. His distribution's there as well. He is a good shot stopper. He's got it all. And I think I was slightly worried to hear that um, one of one of the uh, guys that went to the game on Tuesday, I was lucky enough to be there myself, but somebody else said they noticed in the warm-up how much scrutiny Pep Guardiola was giving him <laughs> in his warm-ups with the other goalkeepers, which is slightly worrying. He was he was popping loads of long-range balls. Well, listen, spot he's got on a, every time. He's got a huge future, hasn't he? The only thing he mm. hasn't got at the moment is experience. Yeah, yeah. and so yeah, he, he will make mistakes. That'll come, uh, but he's got everything, hasn't he? That I think, apart from that, he's got all the attributes of a of a potentially top goalkeeper. And, he, and he's now come up with the, 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 the reason behind one of the best stats I've ever heard, which is Brighton have got more players in the Spain squad for the Euros yes. than, uh, <laughs> than Real Madrid, which you wouldn't have bet on a few years ago. <laughs> it's brilliant. As you, as you said, he was, he was finishing alone with Rochdale this time last year. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. And now he's yeah. what, what I like yeah. the other thing I liked about him though is even in a couple of games when he you know he's arguably I mean because he does take risks, you will get even more mistakes. And he's made the odd one. Yeah. And, and you know, we paid the price, I think, in, in one of the games. Yeah. But the next game back, he, it didn't look like it had affected him at all. He has that kind of calm, almost yeah. self-confident arrogance about him that you need as a keeper. Because you know, if you're not mentally resilient in that position, you've got no chance of yeah. being a success. Mm. Yeah, I think I, I must think, give. I think he's learned in that respect. I think that's part of a process because I'm from speaking to the people at Forest Green and and Rochdale. Um, you know, particularly at Forest Green, when he made mistakes, he could get quite down on himself and 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 maybe let it affect him. So that's all part of of the. I mean, he's got a great um, teacher, Ben Roberts. Oh, he's great, Roberts, isn't he? I think, I think is a very uh, um, underrated influence 
um, in the yeah. goalkeeping coach department. Absolutely. Can only, can only enhance his reputation, though, can't it? What's yeah. happening with Sanchez? Yeah. yeah. You know. Oh, that claim, I mean, even that, just that one moment, we had that, they had that corner and he claimed it on almost past mm-hmm. the penalty spot in the last minute when we could have been under pressure. And it was just one of those, I think, one of my favourite moments of the season, just yeah. absolutely dominated his area there. And yeah. I mean, I was a big Ryan fan. I was disappointed the way maybe he was treated, maybe how he dropped to fourth choice pretty much effectively. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's no doubt that Sanchez, I mean, we were saying about how good our defensive record is. I think it's only Chelsea have had a better one since um, in the second half of the season, which is phenomenal. I think the thing with Matty, I think that was part of, I think once you've gone that decision that you're sort of established number one and experienced number one is being replaced by a youngster, Matty sitting on the bench then just isn't going to work, is it? I don't think that that I mean, would have... Andy, you're also talking about Potter, you know, like nice guy, decent guy and that, but he's, he's made some quite... Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Quite ruthless decisions, yeah. isn't he? You know, yeah. like I'm thinking back to Andoni and Lacardia. Basically, yeah. whatever it was, he didn't like it, and he got him out. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think he certainly got that, and you need that. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need that, and he has. He's not afraid. He's he's clearly shown that he's not afraid to make um, big decisions, is he? Um, you know the way well, and Knockart before he he hadn't even played the game when he he said he loaned out Knockart. Yeah, yeah. He was like straight away. He yeah. thought he didn't like whatever yeah. he saw in Knockart. Well, well, Graham's very big on the kind of um, that that culture, if you like, as well. That 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 dressing room um, being together. So yeah. um, I don't think he he would be a great fan of of players who would be seen as a bit of a disruptive influence hmm. yeah yeah because it's it is all about the man management the emotional intelligence all those elements and you know if you've got a happy camp it, it really does help doesn't it if everyone's driving in the same direction um just, just very quickly because i know you've got to go shortly andy just a quick word on the arsenal game we won't talk about it too much because it it was a bit of an after the lord mayor show job wasn't it really after the city game and with nothing to play for apart from positions we would have liked and we could have gone up about three places there if results had gone our way and most importantly the one our own one didn't um we lost two nil at arsenal we'd started with Sanchez in goal and it it looked like a 4-3-3 didn't it really with webster and duncan central burn and white on the sides and then Grosh, Basuma, Moda, or Moda, sorry, and Jahambach, McAllister, and Trossard further forward. Uh, it was a bit of a nothing game, wasn't it? We we all looked like we were playing six out of ten standard at best, I think, really. I mean, maybe Basuma, maybe Moda, the two that stood out slightly more than the rest, outfielders. Um, what did you make of the game? Anything really to draw on that one? We won't, it, was just, it, it was just flat, wasn't it? It was a, it yeah. was a, it was a kind of flat game. I, I think the Man City game did did play a part in that. It was almost like I think Graham's words were sort of like a step too far. And it, it, it just felt a bit like that. You know, they were weary. There was more incentive, wasn't there, for Arsenal though? <laughs> not, not sure that the Europa Conference League <laughs> perhaps they're perhaps they're glad not to have qualified <laughs> qualified for that. But but there was a I think really... they were apart from Finishing below Spurs was the only yeah. thing that rankled, I think, with them. But, but other than that, yeah, I think they were glad to avoid it. Sorry, go even, on, yeah. even when I look at the game, you know, sort of first half, they were quite solid. I thought Brighton, 
not really a threat going forward. The possession stats were quite interesting at half time because it was what was it six thirty eight percent, which was that's pretty low, isn't it, for for Brighton? And and they'd had thirty nine at Wolves playing with ten men for sort of um, best part of a, a half. So. Um, hmm. And and but there was a moment, wasn't there, where Aaron Connolly had a good chance to equalise, which I think was a significant moment in the game. Because um, mm. I wonder what Arsenal. I think Arsenal's still quite fragile. I wonder what they'd have been like if he'd managed to um, tuck that away. But it was two fine finishes, in fairness, from um, Pepe, yeah. and it all kind of petered out because news filtered through that Tottenham had gone ahead. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, so. It, it all kind of came to a fairly tame conclusion. <laughs> and with, with Connolly, I mean, some people were disappointed he started. They would have rather, they think he might do well for having a, a loan period maybe in the Championship and therefore wanted to see Zakiri or Tao or those kind of players. But do you think this was a case of him being given a last chance to do something before a decision on? either selling or loaning him out might be afoot in the summer? Yeah, it's difficult. I think you always have to bear in mind with particularly young players, you know, he's still he's still very young, isn't he? And he, he had that mm. breakthrough season, you know, the Spurs on his full debut. And it yeah. hasn't quite sort of happened really since then, has it? Uh, he's mm. had one or two injury problems, one or two signs that he's still a bit sort of immature uh in certain aspects so um i wouldn't i wouldn't i'm always loath to i I think it's too easy to sort of write play you know a player doesn't become bad overnight (laughs) you know um no nobody was complaining in that breakthrough season were they about him so um It might, 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 the summer, you know, it might, might be a bit of a reset for him. I, I say that because I look at Bissouma and it's quite interesting because he's in his third season, isn't he now? And he has really, this is the season when he's really shone. He yeah, really, wow. has, he really has come through into mm. a bit. But, you know, it's, it's, it's his third season and there's been that process. Uh, I think it can be different for players coming from abroad. And that varies from individual to individual in terms of how quickly they settle in. But there is there is a process to go through. And 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 young players, you know, they don't let's not forget they're competing at the very highest level. It's, it's, it's not it's not easy for a, a young yeah. player making his way um, you know, early on in his career. Your windows of opportunity are very limited, aren't they? And the pressure is on to, to make yeah. a count in those short moments. Um Peter, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you about what you're saying about Pesuma as well, because I think it's easy to forget with all with the brilliant season he's had and the end of last season that for a year and a half, he wasn't a regular in the team. Yeah. He was in and out. He had some good performances. I seem to remember he played really well at that 3-1 win against Palace, for example, at home when we won 3-1. And I think a lot of the new players did really well when we won with 10 men. But then other games, he kind of drift out or didn't really look like he, he you know, he was the a regular in the team. And and it's only really, I think, the, the few games before lockdown where I thought he was superb and then 
post lockdown that he's really become that key player. And it's like, and I think it's worth remembering when we talk about replacing him, for example, people are saying he's irreplaceable. But in a way, the, the Basuma now arguably is, but that doesn't mean we can't make a player like Moda, I think, needs regular games to become a Basuma. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I think, you know, he looks a really real talent. Basically, Casado is supposed to be brilliant. Alzate was good last season, so hopefully we'll get some games. And, you know, players like that have the potential to, to match Basuma potentially and, you know, become as good or maybe, or at least, you know, contribute as much. And, you know, it, it's not going to be completely lost as much as we'll miss Basuma. It won't be the end of the world that I think some people think because it's only been a year where he's been the player he is now and it, it's been Potter arguably who's developed him into that player and he can do it with someone else. It also doesn't necessarily, and we've already spoken about Graham and the fluidity and the way he sees different things, it doesn't necessarily, you know, have to be a like-for-like replacement, does he? The, no. the midfield mm. setup might modify slightly. You know, Cajedo, yeah. I mean, we haven't seen him so far, but um, the my sources in South America, they, they really rate this kid. I mean, uh, I mean, mm. uh, one of the guys I spoke to described him as the best teenager in South America. Now, that's quite a statement when you think mm. about the countries you're talking about. Uh, Brazil, Argentina. So, um, you know, he's been slowly settling in, getting giving time to, you know, new country, new style of football, language. There's all there's all these kind of issues. Be really interesting to see. Great. I asked Graham about him yesterday, and he he said he thinks that it's really worked so well so far. They like him, and that the pre-season will come at a, a good time. So it'd be hmm. fascinating to see the extent to which he's involved, perhaps next season. Yeah, one one other point as well. You mentioned Peter there about Basuma um, taking this third year to really come into his own. I mean, we look at our strike line. Part of part of what the problem is those guys haven't been here for three years with us. Well, Welbeck, okay, he's experienced, but he's not been with us for too long. And you can see he's already starting to come into his own now. He's getting a run. Um, but you look at the others. Morpay's not been with us for too long. Neither Zakiri, of course. Tal, uh, for various reasons, has only been with us a short time. And uh, even Trossard, you know, it's still fairly early stages. Those players, that exact group we've got, could come into their own and be the difference going well, forward. Well, Graham, Graham makes that. Graham has persistently made that point. You know hmm. that there's improvement within the players in the squad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 I think, as you said before, with Graham, he's very much that head coach as far as he he doesn't get. He's doesn't whinge about what he hasn't got as far as he's yeah. concerned his job is to make the group of players that he's got as as uh, effective as as he possibly yeah. can and and you know uh, yeah I, I think they can they can improve more when you see the improvement that has been from individual players yeah it's I mean, to say where that that ceiling is um, more pay. I mean, he has had a difficult season. Obviously, he suffered with a, a little bit of a lack of confidence because things haven't gone for him. Um, but rather incredibly harshly, I thought the Guardians put him in a category of one of the flops of the season. Um, when you've got Brewster scoring precisely nothing, yeah. uh, signing for Sheffield United, and he's not included, as far as I'm aware. You know, that seems very harsh. I think, I think he, so, he, he was on the list as well in the end. I think it was, oh, was, he? He was okay. him and then um, ESL. I, do, I just wish sometimes that I think it's very easy to look at Neil, very easy for uh, to look at it and say, you know, this XG misses all these chances and blah, blah, blah. Just a bit of context, you know, 
Yeah. 16 million. That's what they paid for him. Yeah. 16 million for a, for a forward in the Premier League is not a lot of money. So what is your expectation? That, 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 that's the thing. What are you expecting? Also, I think the other thing with Neil is he's not, he's not just a goal scorer, is he? He's not just an out and out number nine goal scorer who does nothing else. He, he does quite a lot of his contribution, you know, in terms of the, the press almost starts with him, doesn't it? He's not always playing as that central striker. So I think you just have to put it into a bit of perspective. You know, he scored 18 goals, as not he, over the course of two seasons? Yes, some of them are penalties. People say, well, four of them are penalties. Still got to score them. Plenty of players miss penalties. Mm. And you just look at some of the figures, you know, Werner, I mean, but, you know, I think he will come good for Chelsea eventually, but what did they pay for him? 50... Joe Linton, I think, is the absolute classic example, you know, so isn't he? That, 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 that is, the thing is, the idea that there's this, this striker out there for Brighton, who if they would just go and spend £40 million and that's the instant fix and that's going to transform them in from what they are now into... I'm, I'm not at all sure. I think that's a bit of a simplistic view of... Um, of, of the situation. I just wanted to, um, I wanted to change the subject completely before you go, Andy. I just wanted to, because obviously we were talking in the break, we were talking in the break and I'm, we were about, you know, what got you excited about moving to... He's <laughs> <laughs> getting about... attacked by his daughter yeah. as he's trying to talk. What got you excited, Andy, about moving from the Argus to the Athletic? You know, yeah. what was it about, what was it going to give you that you hadn't, you know, that you couldn't do the Argus? Yeah, well, you know, um, it just, it just kind of ticked the boxes in so many different ways for me. Um, the, the two main aspects, I would say, the two biggest differences are time and space. By that, I mean time to, um, to actually dig dig deeper into store of stories because essentially it's not set in stone, but I do three pieces a week generally, um, which is a pretty substantial difference to sort of the output, the Argus on a, on a daily basis where you were kind of, you know, anything that moved in relation to Brighton was a story sort of kind of thing. So uh, um, it's, it's that, it's that uh, time and when I say space, you know, uh, the, the longest the story would be in the Argus on what we call the inside spread. So that's those two pages uh, when you come off, off the back page would probably be about 900 words. And, and that's a fairly that's the fairly typical length uh, that and upwards for one story in the athletic. I mean, I have when they're bigger pieces, when I've done the Tony Bloom story, Basuma when you're really going into depth and stuff, you're talking 3,000 words for those pieces, you know, so there's a lot more scope uh, in those circumstances to just just go a bit, go a lot deeper, really, and try and give people some insight that they're not going to get anywhere else. I mean, and that's, that's what I really enjoy about it. And also, it seems as if, because of the, 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 you know, the size of the athletic, you've also been able to, 
So you've done stories where you've brought in um, guys who are really good on the analytics. Yeah. And also you've got you know other stories you brought in, like the equivalent of you at another club talking about you know could talk about the team differently or the manager or whatever. Like yeah. Newcastle, I think was one, and and yeah. Steve Bruce's position. So I've I've really enjoyed um your work on the athletic. I've really enjoyed it. I'm glad, glad to hear it. Um, long may it continues. And nice to have yours as a subscriber. It, it's the one thing I, um, like, occasionally I've had people say, why should I sign up to that when I can get the information elsewhere? I think if you're an athletic subscriber, you know you can't. Yeah. It's the quality and the depth of writing, isn't it? Is, is ultimately what it's about. Like yeah. I subscribe as well. I unfortunately don't get to read as much as I'd like, to be honest. Too busy chatting nonsense on here to uh, to read other stuff. But but um, it is it yeah. It's about the quality in depth articles. You're really getting into the the nitty gritty, the you know behind the scenes and in a lot more detail, a lot more thoughtful, long form articles. Ultimately, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's the main. And I have got to say, I mean, some mind boggling quality. <laughs> Forget about me. <laughs> I'm talking about some some of the uh, some of my colleagues. You know, some of the stuff they produce really is um, quite something. Yeah, it really is a good format. Recommend people do give it a try. You get free trials available, don't you, at various points as well. So worth looking them up and seeing what's what it's all about if you haven't already. Um, I think that pretty much rounds it up, actually, Andy. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been no an absolute pleasure. Um, we hope you come Thanks, back maybe and, uh, and and come join us again in I'll some future to. time. I'd be glad Fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. We'd, we'd love to have you on. Okay. Great. Thank you very much, Thanks, then. So Thanks, much. guys. Cheers. Yes, thank thank, you. thank you to both Andy's and to Peter. And we'll round off in the usual way by saying stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.